just want to say something, acknowledge something publicly that we've really noticed. And it's a bit funny when you say this to one of your best mates, but we have really noticed the Holy Spirit on you. And uh, it's been great, mate, to see you fall in love with Jesus in a new way since you've been 24-7. And it's been really obvious. And I want to challenge you for how your life has challenged me. So let's pray for him. Hmm. I thank you for your gift of laughter. I thank you that you bring joy. I thank you a man that enjoys life. I thank you you're God's jester. I thank you you're God's prophet. I thank you you're God's evangelist. And I pray now that you'll just move and walk in what you're excited about. Amen. Thank you, Al. I was, a, I was a bit nervous about uh, doing this today. I, when I was earlier in the week, I was freaking out. It's like, it was such a busy week. And this is like. And then I um, saw that Andy was leading worship and Al was leading the meeting. And this sense of kind of comfort and just peace fell upon me. Um, Al and Andy, I just want to honor you both because these guys are like two of the biggest influences in my Christian walk. You know, I became a Christian when I was 15, joined this church, and Anna and Andy have been, have been friends and leaders to me for all that time. And they're amazing guys who've um, shown us how to lead in humility and servanthood. And I just want to honour you guys and thank you both personally, but also as River Church, because you've done so much, and yet you're still here, you're still serving, you're still leading, you're still bringing the will of God and I want to thank you for that, because that's not easy. There's been many, many people over that journey who aren't doing that. And it's, that's the easy path. And you guys have, have taken the harder path. So I want to thank you and honor you. Um, so we're looking this morning at Encounter. We are looking at the first chapter of Brian Heasley's book, Be Still, which I think everyone's got a copy of. If you haven't got a copy of this, I think we've still got some to give out. So if you haven't got a copy of this book, we can get you on this morning. And um, I have the privilege of working with Brian. So I asked him just to record a little video for us. Tim, have we got a... It's always tough. I always feel like real pressure goes on to Tim at this point when someone says, Tim, can you just... Can you just make the magic happen? Hi, River Church. Really good to uh, hear that you're using Be Still as part of your teaching series and that you've a number of you have bought the book or quite a lot of you have bought the book and you've maybe done the Be Still course and now you're doing a whole sermon series on it. So I'm really happy about that. Little bit nervous that Keith Grafton's doing the first week. I do hope that he's been listening as he spent time with me and we've been hanging out together in various places. You'll have to let me know how he does, but I'm sure he'll do a fantastic job. Uh, he's an absolute legend. Legend. So, you know, Keith, don't don't let the side down now that you work for 24-7 prayer. Anyway, one of the things about the book was that it was, you know, like I've been a Christian 30 years seriously. And I thought in the end, wouldn't it be good to write down some of the stuff that has helped sustain me throughout these last 30 years? And the book really is about how do I develop a kind of a personal culture of quiet time in my life. I think many Christians are activists. We're trying to make things happen and get out and change the world, but we're not always contemplative. And my real heart would be that a book like Be Still would help you engage in contemplative 
activism, where you both know how to breathe in, connect with the Father, get in touch with God, you know, have a deep spiritual personal life, but also that that informs and inspires your life as a Christian in your everyday life, whether that's at the school gates, whether that's at work, whether that's just hanging out with a family or down the pub with friends. But that idea that we have this space in our lives that enables us to live as Christians throughout the rest of our days was so important for me, and I hope it blesses you. So I hope you enjoy this first session today Day. And I just want to say again, River, you're such a great church. It's so encouraging to us at 24-7 Prayer. And uh, God bless you. And I hope this goes really, really well. Thank you. So, yeah, that was what I actually asked him to do 15 minutes. So I wouldn't have to do a talk, but he didn't listen. He thought that was a cop out. So, uh, so yeah, so we're going to look at encounters this morning. It'd be easy for me just to basically talk you through Brian's first chapter. And I did actually consider that, but then I thought that probably some of you have read the book, so you'd suss me out. Um, so I thought I'd talk about uh, a story from the Bible about encounter, which is in John 4, which is Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman, which is sometimes known as the story of the woman at the well, which is a, a fantastic story of encounter. So I thought we'll just talk, talk you through that and pull out some, some little thoughts along the way. So you can follow along in your Bibles if you want to. But I will read it out so you won't have to. Okay, so in, uh, from chapter 4, it says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was, it was about noon. Okay, so first thing to notice, just as a little point of information, and um, if the, the Bible scholars in the room, please correct me if I'm wrong, but um, Jesus didn't have to go that way, and actually it was uncommon for Jews to go that way, because even though it was maybe the quickest route, um, the, the Samaritans were a bit of a kind of ragtag group, and it was like, you don't really want to come across a Samaritan. Um, and so they would actually take a slightly longer route round. And so Jesus didn't, it says Jesus needed to go that way, but he didn't need to from a point of view of his travels, but he needed to from a point of view of the people that he was to meet on the journey. So it was a, a need driven by his calling, not by his uh, itinerary. It was also a place of rich history, um, which is interesting as well. So the, the, the setting for this story is very much already teed up as a purpose, purposeful story, a purposeful meeting. It wasn't an ad hoc meeting. It goes on saying in verse 7, when a Samar- Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And so this really is the start of encounter with Jesus for us. Um, encounter with Jesus or encounter with the Lord starts with a question. So it starts with a response. So Jesus asks the question to the lady, will you give me a drink? She has a decision to make about how she's going to respond. The first encounter that we come across in the Bible, which Brian talks about in the book, is in Genesis. It starts in a garden. The first encounter was in a garden. In Genesis 3, 8 and 9, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? 
So again, it starts with a question, starts with the Lord calling and asking a question, an invite to respond. And it's interesting in, in, um, you know, in Genesis, in Eden, that it's not like uh, I sometimes used to have this this theory that like God was kind of managing Adam and Eve. It was like this sort of big experiment where he was had CCTV everywhere. So he knew their exact moves and would be kind of talking to the Holy Spirit and Jesus about, oh, look, this is what they've done now. This is where they are. Where are they? Can you just check on monitor six where they are or whatever? And, um, and it's not like that at all. It's like there's this sense of there's this sense of kind of the proper relationship authentic relationship where they where God was sort of not always aware where they were and they could hide from him but then he could call to them and he's saying where are you and it's almost like he's saying where are you at he's not sort of going hey come out he's saying where are you at what's going on like let's hang out and it's the invitation that demands a response and I think for us that's that's what we've got to acknowledge first if we want to encounter Jesus We've got to acknowledge, are we going to respond to his question? Are we going to respond to his invitation for encounter? So it, it takes a step from us. It's not just about, God, come meet me. It's about, yes, Lord, I'm here. What is it you want to say to me and getting into that place? Um, at this point, I'll say that um, like, who, who's been joining the, um, the morning prayers, Zoom? I'm not, I'm not, this isn't like, just put your hands up. And, um, and then keep your hands up if you've encountered God or heard God or, or been blessed by those times. I won't ask people to put their hands up if they didn't. But, um, but there's a sense in which um, a daily place to be able to encounter God is important. It's not just about Sundays. If this is your main point of encounter for God, then something's not right. I'm going to say that and challenge you because Sunday mornings are not the place to go, that's where I encounter God. It's corporate encounter, Sunday morning's corporate encounter, and it may be that you come on a Sunday morning to help others encounter God, and it may be that you do encounter God on Sunday morning, it's not a problem, but this should not be our sole place of encounter. So we go on with the story of the Samaritan woman, in verse 9 we read, the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well, the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So the next thing we understand in this, in this story is that encounter creates an awareness the encounter creates an awareness in the woman of something that she wasn't really aware of before. And it's the same for us when we encounter Jesus. When we sit in Jesus' presence and encounter him, he will often speak to us or reveal stuff to us that we're not really expecting, that we're not asking. It's not a transactional relationship. It's not an I ask, you give. It's a, it's a you ask, I respond, you speak, and then I have an awareness that I didn't have before. There's something beautiful about this, 
there's something amazing about the fact that she hadn't really asked a question and that Jesus had suddenly spoken to her about this water of living of life, of eternal life, that she wasn't even thinking about. She's thinking we're talking about water from the well and drinking, and he's then suddenly taking it to a whole new dimension. And so she responds, and that creates an awareness. And I find that... Um, over the last couple of years, I've found that having quiet times in the morning and, and trying to just sit in God's presence has, has absolutely radically changed my walk with him. Because it's about, you know, I, I once, I think I might have said this before, but I said to someone, oh yeah, I have quiet time. I go for a run and I listen to a podcast or worship music and I meet with God that way. And this person said to me, no, 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 that's not a quiet time. <laughs> that's, that's something totally different, like sitting quietly and, and reflecting on, on God is what's important. And so for me, I try, not always, but I try and before the day starts, just sit in a place and just quietly say, come Holy Spirit, come and say, God, what do you want to speak to me about this morning? And basically that's my response to God inviting me on an encounter. And so then in that space, I'll find that he speaks to me. And normally he speaks to me about something completely different to all the mumbo jumbo that's going on in my head. And that if I kind of set the agenda for that meeting, if I was kind of writing an agenda for my encounter with God, it would probably be very specific about certain things. And God would probably just take that agenda and screw it up and throw it away and go, actually, I've got something much, much deeper and more important to speak about, which is going to sustain you far more than if I tell you about the things you want to know about. And actually what I find is that sets me up for the day. And I can tell you that the days that I have a quiet time in the morning are the days that I'm at my best throughout the rest of the day. They're, at the, they're the days where I have the best conversations, where I have the most grace, where I respond to people best. And the days that I don't are often the days where I find that I'm responding badly or reacting badly or not at my best or rushed or panicked. So encounter creates awareness and that awareness stays with us. So then we move on with the story and he says, he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have five, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. And again, like, we won't go into all of this, but <laughs> there's a lot of debate around the fact that obviously like we read the story and we go, oh, she's had five husbands. She's obviously a bit of a kind of, you know, dodgy type person. But actually, again, you look back, you think actually it might not have been her fault, you know, in those days. Um, divorce was a, a man's decision, not a woman's decision, um, that, you know, her husband's might have died. She's, she's collecting water in, at noon, which means she's being outcast from her social, social groups and the, and the community. Um, other people would obviously not be collecting water at the hottest part of the day. They'll be collecting water in the morning or in the evening. Um, but we don't want to go into all of that. We can talk about that another time. But what, what's interesting here is that the encounter leads to intimacy. And I think this is one of the reasons a lot of people don't have quiet times. I think this is one of the reasons why I didn't used to like uh, quiet time, because there's this fear of being alone with God. It's much nicer to find God in a church service like this. But when you're sat on your own and it's just you and God, you suddenly go, this can get pretty scary. This is like, what, what is God going to reveal to me? You know, you reread this story and God's, Jesus has revealed to this woman, he's, he knows her. He knows her intimately. So there's this intimacy. It's not passive. It's, a, it's, not, a, it's not a casual exchange. Jesus, Jesus speaks to her and there's a fear that comes with it. 
In, in Brian's book, he says this lovely thing, which he says, God pursues us. It is a gracious pursuit, one that is laced with kindness. In order for him to help us recover and restore, we do not need to fear encounter because in genuine encounter, we are made whole. And in Romans 8, it says there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So there's intimacy in the encounter and we need to overcome this fear and know that actually the intimacy and the way that Jesus reveals stuff to us will be in kindness to make us whole, not to reveal pain and not to, not to make us feel bad or feel guilty. You know, I often think about, imagine if you had a, a close relationship like my uh, relationship with Kaz, my wife, you know, it's like we've got an intimate relationship. Imagine if we didn't have those moments where we would be willing to be, to be exposed to each other or be willing to, to speak into each other's lives in a really intimate, deep way. That relationship would be very, very different and wouldn't be as close and deep. It's based on trust. So let's allow encounter to be intimate. Then we move on in the story. And she says, sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are kind, the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah. I know that the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So the next part of encounter is it leads to revelation. And it's amazing in this story because actually Jesus doesn't reveal himself as the Messiah in lots of places, but he does really specifically to this woman. And it's interesting that she's, she's telling him, this is kind of what I know, this is where I'm at. And it's like this lovely conversation that I can imagine myself having and do have with the Lord, where you're just kind of going, yeah, but this is my, this is my understanding, this is what I think is going to happen. And then God's just gently going, yeah, but you don't understand this, or you do understand that, here's a bit of revelation. And so it's a stunning exchange that reaches deeply into her heart. And if we allow God to be, if we allow the process of encounter to go through that intimacy, it will allow God to go deeply into our hearts and it will change our hearts. So that it leads to revelation. And then the disciples come back into the mix. So Jesus has been speaking to this lady on his own. It says, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Interesting. I I don't know. I'd like to think about that more, but I haven't really got time now. Then leaving her water jar, the, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. So the final part of encounter, we've gone through awareness, intimacy, revelation is action. Encounter will lead to action. It's like Brian said on there, you know, we, we often want to go straight to activism, but we don't want to go through the contemplation beforehand so that we're act, activism in the correct heart. It's about breathing in Jesus and breathing out Jesus. So encounter leads to action. Faith without works is dead. Our encounter with Jesus must lead to a change in our hearts and our actions so that others can see 
you know, in this story, it's beautifully depicted that this woman has this like really lovely exchange with Jesus where it starts with like, you shouldn't be talking to me to suddenly he's revealing himself as the Messiah to her then leaving the water that she's gone to collect, running back to the town and telling people about Jesus. It's just beautiful. And, and, And it's available to all of us. So in the book, Brian talks in the chapter one about his chair. So he talks about every morning he gets up and he's got a particular chair that he sits down in with his Bible, with his cup of coffee and his journal. And he just makes, play, makes room and has this rhythm of having this chair. And he says, like, he travels a lot. He's the international prayer director of 24-7, so he's traveling a lot. And he says wherever he's traveling, he, he tries to find the chair in the place that he is, whether it's a hotel room or a guest's house or a host house or whatever. And he says it's an intentional decision it's an intentional place and so I've tried to do the same thing I've tried to in my home have a chair that I sit in and I go right this is it's quiet I shut the door sit in the chair and just say God meet me here and some days it's amazing and some days it's like yeah I didn't really feel much but that's great and that's the reality but but Brian says in his book you need to find your chair so the questions this morning, I've finished now, I've gone a little bit over time, not too much, but just a little bit, um, is that we all need chair time. And it doesn't have to be a chair, it could be a bench, it could be, it could be a walk, it could be anywhere you want to, but it's a rhythm, it's a regularity, it's intentional, and it's about encountering Jesus, it's about allowing God to speak, it's about responding, it's about awareness, it's about intimacy, it's about revelation, and it's about action. And if we can go through that process, and more often we can do it, the more we'll be transformed, the more God will speak into our hearts, the more we encounter Jesus, the more we'll become like Jesus, which is a beautiful thing. So we've deliberately given a chunk of time now in this meeting to, to actually encounter Jesus and find out, you know, it might be that we want just God to reveal, where's, up, where's my chair? Where do you want me, Lord? What works in my schedule? What works in my day? You know, one of the interesting things about the morning prayer meetings is this, um, is people saying, people saying, oh, it's, you know, it's good. It starts at half seven and it's like, yeah, it's tough to get up sometimes and be there for the meeting. Or it's like, you know, I've done it myself. And you just think, but actually it's about going to bed the night before and thinking I'm going to do this. So the last thing I'll leave you with is something that is the one line that has always stuck with me. Lina said this when I was 15 at a youth meeting. And she said, are we going to live by predetermined principles or feelings and emotions? Because on a Sunday morning when you wake up and you're tired and you're not feeling great, it's easy to go, my emotion is I don't really want to go to church, but my principle is I'm going to go. And you make that decision way before you will do it. So are we going to live by predetermined principles or by feelings and emotions? So I'd like to do something a bit different. I'd... um if you're not in a pair, turn to the person next to you. So if you're in a three like Sandra, you might have to move. Get into pairs. Wherever you are in this room, get into pairs. Quite a simple instruction. Get into a two. Make sure you're in a two. Identify your two. If you're on your own, find a pair. Got it? All in pairs? All around the room, found a pair? Yeah? This is the question I want you to... This is the thing I want you to pray into for each other for two or three minutes. Where is your chair? Where is your chair? Where's your sofa? Where's your bench? Where's your seat? Where is your prayer? 
just share where that is and then just pray for the other person that they might find the chair. Okay? And if you're not sure, say, I don't know where my chair is. Would you please pray for me that I might find my chair? So it's not a test. I might find my chair. Pray that God will help me find my chair, my place where I connect with him on a regular rhythm basis. We're just going to do that for two or three minutes.